Conversations, interviews, rants, and discussions about society, technology, food, art, culture, games, music, education, business, community building and marketing, communications, board games, old science, new cars, body piercing, body painting, competitive eaters, zombies and vampires, and more. You're listening to Talking About Everything with Harry Hawk. At the end of every single episode now, I ask whoever our guest is about um, a mistake that they've made in the classroom and like what they learned from it. And so I, I hear you loud and clear about trying to normalize failure. Like you, you're not trying hard enough if you're not failing. Um, that's where all the learning happens. I just think that these kinds of conversations, they need to happen way, way more. I think they're really valuable for everyone involved. Hello, this is Harry Hawk, and this is Talking About Everything. And today I'm going to be talking about learning in the classroom, not students learning, but what I learn as a lecturer. And I have a little bit of a disclaimer. So today I'll be talking about the learning I gained from trying different methods in the classroom. And I want to point out that at no time were learning outcomes changed and while we're talking about aspects of my pedagogy that I later changed or eliminated, students were always given my best effort as a teacher and a mentor. No grades will be discussed, of course, and no students will be identified. Startups that follow the Silicon Valley model are encouraged to be disruptive in the marketplace and to embrace failure. Failure is rewarded, and the most rewarding failure is fast failure. Fast failure lets you quickly redesign and try again. Fast failure leads to faster interactions and, at least in theory, better results in the long term. However, culturally, especially in academia, we are rarely encouraged to actively discuss our failures. It's important to understand culturally even the term failure is rarely used. Learning is the euphemistically and perhaps also semantically the correct term. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Doug McKee, who teaches econometrics and is the co-host of Teach Better Podcast, that's teachbetter.co, and I've been looking to find someone to help me walk through some of my learnings from the last few years, and Doug has thankfully agreed. So, Doug, welcome to the show. I'm glad to be here, Harry. I hope, hopefully, I'll be able to, to provide for some, um, I guess, academic counseling? Is that what it's, yeah. <laughs> what it's called? Peer counseling? <laughs> Peer counseling, something. Yeah. We're just here to talk about teaching and Sometimes things you try work and sometimes they don't. Absolutely. And when they work, that's great. And when they don't, it's a learning opportunity. Right. And I, I love being able to try something out early in the term and make changes. But there's a few things that I've done in the last couple of years where I really made a whole semester long plan and I didn't get out of it what I had hoped. I work with a lot of community college students as well as uh, senior college students within the CUNY system, so two different schools, and there's a lot of variety of students, and I'm very frustrated by the idea that basically they're going to get two, maybe three assessments during the whole semester, and basically their passing the course depends on getting all of that correct. Right. It's just these huge mountains that they have to climb. Right, right. I Actually, I have a friend who just the other day told me that he stopped uh, giving midterm exams and uh, instead gives these fast quizzes. He reads a hell of a lot more literature on teaching and learning than I do. Kind of the, the current feeling is that fast feedback is the way to go. Look, frequent and fast feedback. So he'll give these quizzes and, and they'll get their grades immediately. Right. 
and and he'll and he'll use that information both for assessment and for deciding what he's going to teach that day. So they already know these things. Great, I don't have to teach them. But they didn't know these other things. That's what I'm going to focus on. Indeed, and I using Blackboard in you know traditional class, I'll do a test at some point for each chapter that they're assigned. Multiple choice, so they get the grade immediately. Yeah, I'd like to not release the answers until after the test period and have a narrow test period so that I know that there's no cheating. Oh, because you're doing it all online. Right. Now, the class is in, in person, traditional, but where I've ended up is that they read, yep. they come to class, and we don't. I don't lecture. I have a discussion. Yeah. And then they go home, and they have a couple days, and then at the end of the week, they take the test. And do they take it in the classroom or at home? At home. That's... And what fraction of their grade is that? Probably about 30%. Yeah. And do you, and do, you do any, because it's just so easy to cheat. Like they get 10 of them all in the same room, kibitzing about what the answers are. And then. Right. Although they don't live on campus. So there's, you know, but right. yes. So it's harder. It's harder. And I, I make all of the questions randomized. So the answer to number one isn't the same for everybody. Interesting. Okay. But yeah, it, it, it definitely opens the door. Right, right. Yeah, okay. So and this that's is, where I've settled in on. <laughs> and But you but you don't like it. Because well, that sounds we pretty had, good to me. If we had computer, well, like I said, this is where I've settled in. What I was doing yeah. before is more of the learning that took me to get there. My original goal was to do it in the classroom. Right. But there's not enough computers or and it doesn't work with smartphones and stuff. So I'd like them to do right. it in front of me. Right. Do they all have what? laptops? Yeah, they, you know, they, they don't necessarily bring it to class. And right. depending on where I'm teaching, you don't necessarily have students that have laptops. They may share a computer at home. Right. I mean, so much of this stuff, it's just about trade-offs. Yeah. Yeah. And you try different things until you get a setup that you're kind of comfortable with. I don't think there are any like perfect answers for a lot of this stuff. I mean, for me, I worry. It's not that I think my students are cheating, but I just want those assessments to be clean. And I don't want there to be incentives to cheat. You don't want to make it easy. Yeah. Yeah. It's just too tempting. Where I came from before this was trying to take a look at, you know, basically turn the three assessments a semester on its head. Yeah. And I tried this approach where I created a passing grade that was, call it 1,500 points. Yeah. And I assigned 2,000 points worth of assignments. Yeah. So there were lots of small assignments, some of them bigger, some of them smaller. Right. And also particularly looking at assignments, you know, some were creating video, some were written, a really potpourri yeah, of assignments. Yeah. Well, I thought so. <laughs> well, the thing is, with those those kinds of things, they're a pain to grade because they're individual, but they're right. frankly they're more interesting to do. And so here's here's yeah. another rub. I made the vast majority of them pass fail. Right, but that's like this is like so it made it's it easier an to grade. Approach, but it is a, like it's an approach that people use are these like points based systems where if you want to be, you know what to do, what you have to do. I got I got so exact. I got so much learning out of this. Yeah, it it just didn't it you know it didn't, didn't go the way I wanted. Yeah, what did they do? Did they just did everybody just do all the assignments and do them badly? A whole bunch of students. Again, you can think of it, students at different levels. You see this at the highest and the lowest levels. But a lot of procrastination. A lot of students that are working full time with families, and right. so they're they're used to having one or two assignments, being late with them, right, and being able to turn them in kind of when they want. And my modality 
here was no nothing late. I don't like late assignments. Yeah, oh, that's, it's, it's, that's gonna piss them off. <laughs> and, and it's pass fail. Yeah. So, but I didn't come out and say you need to get a D to pass. And I gave them points even for turning in, even if it failed. I assumed I'd get. I mean, hand in a blank document with your name on it, you would get you know two points. Yeah. And it. it and some of them were really scaffolded, so there was an arc of an assignment in there that was highly scaffolded. Yeah. And it, it just got to be too many things for them to do and to keep track of. And what I thought I was making it really easy, you could avoid, you know, if you don't like writing, you could avoid, you can't avoid yeah. all the writing, yeah. but you could avoid a lot of it. No. Yeah. So, okay. So I think there are a lot of things that are good ideas, but they don't go well for two reasons. One is the students aren't used to it. And so you just have to really explain to them how it works and like get them comfortable with the idea. And sometimes that takes weeks. Yeah. And then two, sometimes there are things that are really good ideas that the devil's in the details. So I had this exact experience last semester on both of these fronts um, in the fall with my discussion sections. Okay. So I taught this big lecture. I think the way most people run discussion sections is stupid. And so I was going to do something totally different. And um, and the students hated it. Okay, But I still thought it was a good idea. So I, instead of – so the typical discussion section is they go in and the TA gives the greatest hits from that week's lectures and then does some problems on the board and maybe answers some questions. And this was a data analysis class. So instead what I did is I had them take a sign – like they they would come into the section. They would pair up. They would sit down. They would get a new data set and a and a substantive question like, are, are female named hurricanes more dangerous than male named hurricanes? Okay. Which was a, a real paper yeah. that got a lot of press in this last spring. I remember and that. the results are totally not robust at all. And so they use the methods that they know to analyze the data. And it's great. Um, they learn a lot. But number one, they weren't used to it at all. They're like, what, how, where are we going to get our greatest hits? Where are we going to learn how to do the problem? And my TAs weren't used to it at all. And they're like... These with these things, they're not on the test, and it wasn't required that they show up. Um, and the assignments were too long. Like I could, I, this yep. this is a long list of things that were just wrong. But I'm not giving up on it because I still think it's a good idea. But I, and I'm going to try to like shore it up. Okay, the assignments were too long. I'm going to shorten them. Yep. The TAs couldn't manage the sections. I'm I trained them during the semester. By the end of the semester, it was going a lot better. There were a whole bunch of things that that I changed during the semester, and there are a whole bunch of things I'm going to change next year. But I still think it's a good idea. And maybe I, in I three years, after I try it three times and it fails all three times, then I will give up. So I have an intro to marketing class. Yeah, which is about as much detail as I would give, and I've now taught it. I'm in my fourth section. Yep. You know, my fourth term. This is the course for the, the online quizzes that we were talking about. Yeah. It's hospitality marketing, hospitality and tourism. Yeah. And so you're talking about vocabulary, you know, learning the terms of the industry, yep. definitions, and then you need some kind of model to talk about messages because that's at the end of the day, marketing is about messages. Yeah. And so given everything that's going on in this world and my own expertise, I've chosen social media as what I want to model marketing on. OK. And there's a, a lot of reasons why, but you can just imagine uh, that there's a lot of rich possibilities for scavenger hunts on Twitter and Facebook. And for sure. And it's real and they can do it. And it is out in the in the real world. So you're going to talk about messaging as implemented through social media. Right. Got it. 
and, and, but even when I'm talking about other things, so we talk a lot about something called service recovery. You have a bad meal, you complain to the manager. So now what are they going to do? Yes. I can send my students on a field trip to try to find it. I can have them read a case study, but they can go on Twitter and actually find live real time as well as historical examples. People complaining and see how the firms respond. Right. So yeah, it's great. So the some resistance the first uh, term just to using the, the the social media. I gave these a lot of these multiple assignments, not the points based ones. I considered it a portfolio. They could go out, find stuff on Twitter, paste it into a document, and yeah. for each assignment, a couple sentences, maybe a paragraph of analysis, just showing me that they understand what's going on or asking questions, answering them, whatever they wanted. And so, okay, go on. Yeah. So so that failed because they weren't graded. And so they just didn't do it or they did a crappy job. Both. Okay. So, well, okay. So let's talk about how to fix that. Well, but this evolved. Oh, okay, good. Okay, good. (laughs) So that's then like the other course with a lot of points. I did this course again last semester. Everything was graded. There were, you didn't have a lot of options. Not like that huge 1500 points, but everything had a point value. I got you really, you went totally to the other side. You shifted completely. Right. Cause I, I felt if, if they need to under, I, I felt one of the things I learned was if I'm not grading it, yeah, the signal that I'm sending in this marketplace is yeah. it's not that important. Quality doesn't matter. What I created was so much more work for them. Okay. Cause they still because had their, they, they had their quizzes and yeah. These are graded assignments and they're small. Well, I was just going to say that, do you listen to the teaching in higher ed podcast? At times I, I spot listen if I like the uh, the sound of the topic. So there was somebody on there recently talking about her system for, I think it was like points-based grading. Mm-hmm. She had some, some shtick about grading and it was interesting, but it was basically this, that instead of grading things, what you do is you just give assignments and there are a certain number of points. But there's there was this middle ground between what you did where you had like the assignments and then they pass it in and they get either fail or they get either one or zero point. But what she was doing, I believe, is saying you get this many points if you do this, do it this well, and just trying to really clarify like, what well is. You can still grade really quickly and it becomes really clear like, well, in order to get the maximum points for this assignment, you can call it an A or not call it an A. You have to actually have like three of these and explain the situation well. And then you can say it didn't explain the situation well, as opposed to like really kind of trying to like understand the nuance of their argument and so I ended up somewhere different. I got to hear a lecture last fall from uh, Kathy Davidson, who's the distinguished professor at uh, CUNY uh, in charge of the Future of Ed Initiative. Nice. A founding member of Haystack, if you know okay. that. And she was on all about how our current educational system was designed so many seemingly millennia ago yeah. and how it's reinforcing certain kinds of worker structures and this gets somewhat close if you know sort of the nuances of uh, Brian Kaplan's work and, you know, just talking about signals that education with degrees, you know, with signals they send through the economy. I don't. Basic, that sounds interesting. I'll, I'll send you a link. But he's basically okay. saying, look, you, you know, that Yale degree is sending a signal to the employer right. and there's an arms race. Uh, and if you can't get a Yale degree, then you get the next best one that you can afford. Yeah. And so you end up having more and more expensive degrees because there's 
still at the end of the day, only so many good jobs. But Kathy, Professor Davidson is saying that, you know, essentially this was designed to create workers. They weren't designed to learn anything. They were designed when they got out of the educational system to be good workers in the degree signaled that they would be a good worker. And then in other programs designed for middle managers. Gone on, or, they had to know, or they had to know facts or how to use certain equipment. Right. And this is like Sal, Sal Khan tells the same story about like the Bavarian system where like, you were supposed to learn to be quiet and like yeah, exactly. remember a bunch of facts. S- sit at your desk, work alone. Right. Uh, and that's not the kind of jobs we have now. We need right. different skills. Exactly. So, this is, so that was the epiphany for me. And so I took over the summer break – all of my take-home portfolio assignments. Yeah, I don't lecture hardly at all at the beginning of the class. I ask if there are questions. Yeah, which is I know that they don't like to ask questions. Some of them haven't done the reading yet, so it makes it easy. But I answer a question if there is one. If I yeah. I'll do. I have students make presentations using the Ignite presentation style, which is a five-minute presentation. Great. Very, very fast-paced. Yeah, and then. We do a bunch of group exercises and class exercises, and there's usually – I have to vary it and be dynamic to your – exactly what you went through with your paired students, yeah. you know, just stretching or narrowing the deliverable. Yeah. It sounds great. I'm loving it. I want to take I, this class. And, it, you, you know, know we take each – we take it's. I think it's great, but we take each learning outcome, whatever yeah. you know is in the curriculum, service recovery or segmentation, demographics, whatever it is, yeah. and they work on it. And most often, I have them make a video yeah. or again find a bunch of tweets, and they might give a, a quick oral report at the end by group, and then they go home. They can read or reread the chapter and take the quiz at the end of the week. Yeah. Okay. So let me ask you two questions. One is, are they happy? Like when you read your evaluations, are they saying things like, boy, this class was really different, but I learned a lot. We'll know. (laughs) This is the first time. Yeah, this is, this is. Okay. Do they seem happy when they're in the class? Love to be in group assignments. They will say often nothing as a class. They have nothing to say. You put them in a group and give them any topic and they're often. All students are like, my, I have yet to meet a class where there weren't more than a handful of people that are happy to kind of talk individually in the big format, but you didn't put them into small groups. And then they're like, they're all going crazy talking about whatever. It's great. It's a great format. I mean, that's yeah. like these physics guys have been doing this for a while. They figured it out a few years ago and it's taking a while to get around. Okay. But that's only half. I mean, whether they're happy or not and like talking and engaged, that I think is necessary, but it's not sufficient. Yeah. Can you tell, like, do you give a final exam? Part of the assignment last year and this year for every course Yes. Is this paper, which is a personal marketing plan. I have the option of doing a business marketing plan. They take a real business, but a personal marketing plan to me is much more meaningful, also more containable. Last term, I got what I wanted, but it was highly scaffolded and it was part of all those pointed systems. And we just worked and worked and worked at it. This year, it's not scaffolded. Mm. What I consider the heart of the plan is promotion and it's kind of at the end of the outline, you know, and they're giving me half a paragraph and that should be a page or two. And I told them it should be a page or two (laughs) at the beginning. Yeah. You got to remind them. Yeah. And so, but there's, and and I want to explain a couple other things of how this plays out, but it, it, I think most of the assessments are going well. The final, there's a a quit, there's a, you know, hundred point uh, test that they take online. And there was an, a, an ignite style presentation and then if, if this is how online marketing works today but they have to write a one-page brief about a particular company they, they can pick 
Yep. And from that brief, they have to write a couple of blog posts. And from those blog posts, they have to create a couple of tweets. And they have to do, it can be short like a Vine or an Instagram video, yep. but they have to do two videos, one with an internal message and one with an external message, again, all relating to the brief, the blogs, and the tweets. Yeah, all kind of around the same message. Yeah, I mean, and they get to write the brief so they can decide, yeah. you know, to follow a passion. Right. Here's, the, here's the rub. Last term, again, all kinds of points teaching them how to create videos that had elements, a yeah. look, color, shape, sound, done as competencies. So pass, fail, turn it yeah. in as many times as you want. Yeah. And they get hated it, hated it. Really? What did they hate about it? So, again, perception. No one else, no other class has to do this. So much extra work. Probably my own failure of not really making it relevant. I do a lot of feedback at the end of the term. A couple said, we thought we would learn how to make TV commercials. And I'm saying to myself under your, my breath, what do you think all those videos <laughs> right. are teaching you? Right. Well, there you go. But there's like that stuff is gold. Like then you're like, aha. Yeah. And then next time you teach, yeah. you tell them you're making TV commercials here. Yes. <laughs> Great. Exactly. Exactly. And that that was exactly uh, um, this idea. This idea that like we're doing so much more work than all these other classes. That I find that I have a hard time with. Because on the one hand, it's like they do have other things going on, and you can't just give them a million things like more than you can't give them too much work. Yeah. On the other hand, it's like you don't have to do it if you want an A. Like an A is a lot of work. Like. And this work is like how you're learning. So if you want to learn the material, you do the work. Here's, there's no there's no free lunch. They can decide, you know, where they want to end up. But here, here's some vindication in a way. This is a, a hospitality program. None of these students consider that they will ever work in marketing. Right. So they might as well be studying biology, which they would right. probably be far more relevant to modern cooking than uh -huh. marketing. Right. But today's climate, as we were talking earlier, what does the modern worker need to do? The modern right. worker needs to be in social media, both internally and externally. Yeah. It's going to be expected. Right. They're going to need to know how to make videos. And I tell them, someday someone you're going to work with or for is going to say, does someone know how to make this kind of video? Does someone know how to do this Twitter stuff? And you can keep quiet because you don't want to volunteer, but you'll know inside that if you want to do it, you have the skills yeah. to do it. Yeah. And it's going to be expected. So I have a, I keep track in Hootsuite, if you know it, it's an application of all my students by term. So when they're tweeting, I can see, oh, that, that person who's tweeting I had in 2013. Oh, fascinating. And I, that, you know, and, and I see them, some of the other, at least one other professor is doing this. So I can see them in another class. Yeah. Continuing to use Twitter. So, I mean, we're really evolving trying some of us trying to get them proficient on a professional level. But I had a student come to me who's been through several of my classes yep. and she's got an internship, her job running the Twitter account for the startup that she's interning with. So you need to bring her back to class and yes, like have her in, introduce her. Yeah. Uh, I want to make a video. I want to. And, and the other thing is like, you don't even and tell the class about these people. Like I had a student in here, they did these same things you're doing. And now with those skills, they're going and doing these other things. And, and it's just going to be, expected like right right so this is really interesting because yeah. i thought that um there's a big difference between teaching classes that are required and the student because in those cases half the students are there they think that they're there only because it's required 
and all my stuff are required stuff. Right. If you teach a class that's not required. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not even like, like the fact is, if your class wasn't required, a large number of these people would take it anyway and they would have a great attitude. But making it required, it's like this, you've changed the motivation from intrinsic to extrinsic. You want people to want to be there. And so with a required class, you have to do all this extra work to convince them that they really want these skills that you're teaching them or they really want this knowledge or they really want these this new way of looking at the world that it's valuable to them. That's why I have them do the personal marketing plan. I mean, I give a story. I have a robotics client in my marketing practice and I heard about them. I knew I was an incredible fit and I emailed them with a yep. small letter and I got hired and I explain, I'm not going into a lot of the detail here, but yeah. if you need to look for those opportunities where your right. skill set perfectly aligns with a company and right. then really have the ability to go get it. I just interviewed uh, Dr. Ono from University of Cincinnati. He's the president. How did I get the interview with him? Through Twitter. Right. I messaged him. Right. The students just trying to teach them how to tweet. And again, it's not the primary lesson. So I'm not going to take a whole class right. and spend it on Twitter. But we, instead of giving a midterm, they had the paper. So we had that whole midterm class that had to be, you know, they had to be in their seats. And so we spent a whole class on Twitter. And we actually got some high, some you know, high valued influencers messaging a couple of the students back. That's and, great. And finally, kind of got through to them of. You know, we all know how to talk to people, especially in a hospitality program. They're all yeah. very outgoing for the most part. At the beginning of the class, we tweet. And that's great. So that, that's another. And it made me think of your your class, your data analytics class. Right. Where, you know, you could introduce, I had an old management professor, had the theory X, Y, and Z. And, and theory, you know, Z was fake Y, um, pseudo theory Z, rather. Um, you know, you're not giving them a real choice, um, pseudo theory Z. And so, like, you know, you say, here's two data sets. Which one do you want? You know? Yeah. Or, or you know, so they, they want the hits of the lecture. So, you know, do a podcast or something and, and say, here, you know, here, here's the hits. Listen to it now or later. Or don't come, don't come to the discussion and still listen to it. Or you have to show up to get the, the link or whatever I mean, it is. I, I'm a big believer in explaining why you do things. So much of the time, like they, you're doing something for a good reason, but they don't understand why. And so they complain about it. But that complaint is a real reason to, to explain. It's an opportunity to explain. And so, boy, I mean, I did spend a lot of time trying to explain the value of these these labs. And sometimes it was successful and sometimes it wasn't. Look, look if, if, this was, if this was sex ed and you were giving them the opportunity to learn the theory or learn the practice, right. I think most of them would pick the practice. Uh, right, right. Or like you're going to go out there and you're going to meet someone do you want to have like read a book about sex or do you want to actually like have some practice in it and like know how to do it? Which, which approach, which is going to get like, in which case are you going to do a better job? Like and, the, probably and, the and, one with the practice is going right. to do a better job. And, and doing, and doing it with a paired up with somebody. <laughs> I, I don't mean the sex, but I'm talking no, about the data, no. the data right. analytics. Um, right. Right. You know, so it's, it, it's, and maybe this is another thought is maybe it should be three or four in the data analytics of. Yeah. So I've, I've thought a lot about what the right group size is in those labs. And like, I have a strong feeling that it's two, but I've talked to other people. Like I talked to my co-host Edward O'Neill and he's like, no, no, you need bigger groups. So you can, they can kind of all feed off each other and like, it'll be, there'll be like a little mini learning community. I feel like it's too easy to kind of, 
to shirk and like let one person do all the typing and then you're always the kibitzer and you're not actually learning. So Kathy Davidson, I'm interpolating and projecting. So sorry, Kathy, if I'm saying this wrong, (laughs) uh, would say, you know, make them sign or come up with some kind of constitution. In other words, you know, make the pairs kind of permanent for the semester, but also, and give each other badges or something. It's a little bit hard to do in in pairs, but if you were in a larger group, you know, say, well, this person, you know, is the laziest. I don't, you know, it's not a great badge. Yeah, but yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I wanted. This person's the most creative. That sounds a lot, I, I, that sounds a lot like team based learning. Yeah. Are you familiar with that? No, I mean, I can parse it out, but I, I'm not. I know very little about it, but I just know that, like, it's a, it's a regular, it's a thing. It's not just the, the words together. Like, there are people that are team based learning people. And they divide up their classes carefully into teams at the beginning. And then everything in the semester is done by teams. And they really make a big deal. Like, these are not just groups. They're teams. And they they do all this stuff. Um, But I tell you, every single person I've met that uses it, it's like a religion. They just rave about how great it works. I I think the right – I'm a huge fan of startups. It is when you're in that environment with three or four or five people when it's at that level or maybe 20 or 30 people – and you're using every part of your intelligence. Yeah. Like, obviously, you have some math background. And well, I've done a startup. In data. What kind of startup? Uh, it was an internet internet software startup in the late 90s. There you go. Well, I, and it was exactly yeah. like you described. It was like five people, all with different skills, working as a, as a unit where we all did a lot of different things. And it was amazing. Yeah. Like we were incredibly productive. Right. And you get to, you know, parts of your skill set that you normally wouldn't bring because no right. one's going to pay you to do that. And the startup, it's like, we can't pay anybody else. So you're doing step up, step up. You're doing logistics. You're you write the documentation. Oh, I've done that too. Right. <laughs> you write the documentation and the server software and give the demo. Yeah. Okay. I got, uh, yeah, I designed UI because, uh, we didn't have a UI the, designer. Somebody I, I had, had to, to write, I had to write the documents. And so they said, well, you write, you write the interface any way you want. And that's what we'll program. Exactly. But yeah, so that sense of teamwork that we have to get away from in a sense, this idea of, yes, the only good assessment is the work that you do on your own by yourself. Right. And, and so in a research class that I teach, which is an academic writing class, I do a tremendous amount of peer review so that they write their, it's scaffolded, it's a big course, many sections. I teach one section, very structured. They come in and, I, and I'm very active about how I pair them. I might let them pick a particular week, but I rotate them through. I'll try to put weak and strong students together. I'll nice. try to put strong students together and I make them read out loud to each other. I try different things. And I just know that spending a couple hours actually talking about their paper is the best thing that could happen other than spending two hours of me one-on-one. Right. That's exactly right. Yep. I agree. So but there's, there's one other thing that I want to talk about where I think I've had a lot of learning, still having resistance from students. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, it's at least interesting. It's gotten to the interesting level. Okay. I believe strongly in assignments need to be in on time. Yeah. It's interesting. And I'm not that type at all. Yeah. Well, in, particularly in hospitality, we right. are modeling the norms of the industry. Right. That makes a dress, lot of sense. Dress, um, grooming, yep. language. You know, our students aren't going off into research or academia. Yep. They are going to go manage a hotel, work in a restaurant. My deadlines are mostly soft deadlines, if they exist at all. 
Yeah. Like these guys are, they, they're going to have to deal with a tremendous number of hard deadlines. I love soft deadlines and I'll, I'll right. I have, right. but you know, turn it in anytime you want. You know, I'm following structures that exist in some cases or stick it scaffolded. Here's what I do. Number one, and, uh, the first time I did this, I, I left it as an option, but at this point, all work, all written work is handed in as a Google doc, okay. no word, no other format. Yeah, it's that's interesting. A, that would save have, me time if I did that. Oh, it's such a time saver for student and teacher. And then you just, you go and there's a folder and it has all of your things and you just grade them. Whereas like I spend a lot of time like dragging and dropping attachments out of emails into folders. And the, But it gets, it gets better. I make them, right. share it with me with permission to edit. Yeah, great. Now I can see the revision control. Now some of them will paste in and I, I encourage them not to paste it in and I'll get to, to, to avoid that. What I'm doing now is like for the research class, which is scaffolded first week, we create a document and I tell them they're doing all their work in that document. Each assignment, they turn in that same document. Yeah. Okay. In the revert in revision control inside of Google docs, you can see exactly what they did, the time and date stamp of when they did it. Yeah. And it's so much you know, a student says that they're struggling, but they've only been in the document three times and they've had five assignments is indicative yeah. of many other things, maybe family problems, work problems, but yeah. they're not failing because they're trying and they can't do it. Right. On the other hand, I can see students who clearly every couple of days are chipping away at it. I can yeah. also see if mm, maybe oh, somebody else with that other login that was doing work in here. Who's uh, that? That's really interesting. That's really cool. I like yeah. that idea. And we, with the revision, re, revision control, yeah. if they lose something, they can just go back and get it in time. They right. Back in time no more, time. I lost it on my hard drive. Right. It's all in there. Don't and have to then worry about their backup strategy. When it's time to review the document, I switch it to suggestion and I go through and make, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to be their editor, but, you know, yeah. in this kind of environment, I need to give a lot of corrections at times and things. So it's yeah. all there and all they have, they don't have to try to read my writing, which would be impossible. Right. All they have to do is they can click accept or reject. Yeah. If they accept it, it's done. And yep. they can, but they can leave comments back and forth and we can discuss, you know, why, why I might want to change. The other thing that I do is if I'm available when they submit it, that moment that they submit it, I'll try to go in right away. Sometimes I'll catch them still in the document. Yeah. And give them some really fast feedback. Yeah. I, I don't promise that, but I, I do that. And then the other final thing is, or a couple of things related to that submission date. I'm typing up my, I'm like writing this down because I think this is a really great idea. So you hear me typing. I'm not right. I'm not sending mail. I'm, <laughs> I'm taking notes. <laughs> but keep going. The, the date is the date. They submit in Blackboard. In other words, they share through Google, yeah. but they submit the link through Blackboard. There's a time and a date stamp. And in Google Docs, you can save as PDF. And so they attach a PDF file. That file shows me what it looked like at the time that it was submitted. Again, yeah. if there's a formatting issue or something later, it, it, it's a backstop for both of us. But also I want, in most of my classes, the students to see each other's work, but I don't want them to force the issue that other students can see my comments, right? So they yeah. can keep the comments. If they want to let people in, they can, but they can keep the comments just to me. And but there's a document that other students can see where they are and what they've done. Yeah. And now here's the real kicker and what the carrot is they can continue to work on the document. Yeah. Until I grade it. But they don't know when you're going to grade it. Well, you, you know, I don't, I, when I start grading it, I go into blackboard and yeah. they'll see that I've been in the document. Yeah. Um, I'll go into blackboard and say, I, I've now 
you know, I've great, I actually, before I start, I say, I've now graded this, you know, if they submit it on a Wednesday morning. I'm really, I'm, I'm not promising this, but it's really unlikely. That I'm going to get to this before Saturday If Sunday's Easter. It's probably yeah. going to happen after that. That's the real world. You submit something to your boss through Google Docs, yeah, and then you make a few changes before he or she gets to it. Uh, that scares the heck out of me. Because then you're I, encouraging your students to like roll the dice. Well, but the, the this here's where, to me, it's really powerful because what they're doing is not submitting because it's not good. Right. And then, and they don't believe me that I'm not going to accept late work. Right. So then they fail the, that right. assignment. Right. I mean, what if you had like a strict, for every day it's late, you lose a, a point or a letter grade or something? I, I do I do that often in certain classes that I will deduct a point a day or something. Yeah. They don't know. They, they're they like guessing. And then you're going to get like these, I don't know. I, don't, I like things to be either. But maybe that's just me. I'm really risk averse. I tell them, if necessary, submit a blank document. Right. You're going to get more points that way, and I know where they're at. It's sort of like modeling, you know, should drugs be legal or not? And when you make them illegal, you cut off all the signals around who's using them and how they're using them. I agree. Go to the hospital. Uh, Right. Right. So it gives them some incentive to turn something in, and it gives them a couple days leeway to make some changes they get early feedback again you don't have to allow them to keep on making changes because with that revision reversion control when you grade it you can go to the time and the date of when they turned it in or you can look at the pdf right so you have it's really tight in terms of if somebody came and said what was turned in on what date did they what time did they turn it in it's all there yeah no that's great so, okay, let me ask you a question. What about, um, it takes time to read and grade a whole bunch of papers. Yes. <laughs> and so the ones that you grade first are getting the feedback earlier. So, so again, also trying to model the, the real world. Yeah. I tell all of my students, I am happy to look at any of your work before it's due at any time. Yeah. They have my cell phone number. I don't accept phone uh-huh. calls, but they can text message me. Yeah. And so you want to run something by your boss before it's due. Yeah. So again, so if they want me, if they want feedback, and I have some students who really get into that and take yeah. advantage of that, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and others, I, I say I'd really like to review your work. Please make an appointment. Right. And that's the other thing. I use this for a virtual appointment. I, I'm I'm a part timer. I don't have an office, so to speak, and they're all working anyway, most of them. So we we schedule a time for the virtual appointment, just yeah. like we are now. We're on the yeah. phone. Yeah. We're sharing the document. I can highlight stuff. And can you that's rewrite right. that sentence for me? Why did you? Do, I'm totally going to try this. I totally want to try it for my seminar next time around. The resistance is it's not Word. You know, I want to use Word. Well, you know, Google Oh, there's such a trend away from Word. Yeah. It's only a matter of time. I I am, again, just not having to write on somebody's paper. Word has some. I use Word and I use the. um, I have control. Yeah. I use uh, annotation. Like the, what is it called in Word? There's a, there's a version, there's a review uh, mode, review review mode, mode yeah. with annotations. It's free. I mean, they can have right. it. <laughs> right. And very interesting. Very interesting. Let me again work with this when I'm doing the distance learning out yep. in California. I, I've made in that when I was doing all those points, virtual appointments, office appointments earned points. Oh, and yeah. Had, and I've had half the students. Isn't that amazing? Them. Like getting people engaged, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. So you haven't really ex- told me any failures at all. You've told no, me about a, a lot of really cool things that you've no, tried. Well, you're, and then, you're being like, kind. <laughs> I think it's, it's, it's awesome. Well, all those point stuff, all the complexities, I mean, all these, you know, the resistance from the students not yeah. explaining well enough why I wanted them to do this way, not making that case. 
But you need to do it. Like, but you know what to do. Yeah, I do now. <laughs> it's great, great. I, I know you have uh, another appointment to get to, but... I do. I think I can hear her on the other side of my door. Speaking of students coming by to get feedback on their papers. Doug, this has been a lot of fun for me, and I, I, I do feel like I got some some of my learning out there, and, and, and being able to talk about it has been really helpful to me. So thank you uh, very much. Hey, you're very welcome, and I think I, I got a lot of great ideas, too. And uh, huh? I just think that these kinds of conversations, they need to happen way, way more. I think they're really valuable for everyone involved. Well, we, well, we Just like we would force our students into groups, we should put 10,000 you know, higher ed teachers into a bag and pull everybody out a partner and get on the phone for 20 minutes each and talk about their failures. Uh, this is not a, it is not a bad idea. It is not a bad idea. You, you organize it. I'm in. <laughs> Maybe. All uh, right, Harry. Bye-bye, Doug. Thank it you. It was a pleasure. Fantastic week. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. My name is Chuck Fresh, and I am being paid to thank you for listening to Talking About Everything with Harry Hawk. Harry wants to hear from you on Twitter at hhawk or harryhawk at gmail.com. And now, a word from our sponsor, life extension coach and favorite chef. Hawk Digital Marketing is focused on bringing brands and people together. We build communities of interest based on trust and transparency where consumers and brands can converse, learn, discuss, or solve problems together while creating a long-term connection entanglement between you and your customers once connected we help you engage communicate sell present educate and inform evolve your communications with us hawk social marketing.com